Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm going to be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate this this is joe cole this is ruben off the cheek and you're listening to the london, london is blue podcast. podcast all right chelsea fans welcome back to another episode of the London is Blue podcast, uh, no longer a Champions League edition, uh, early morning edition for us. We've got Matt Law back joining us. So you've got myself, though, sprayed with my co-hosts Nick and Dan. Matt, welcome back. We're excited, excited to have you, especially so after, so soon after Chelsea having qualified for the next round, the semifinals of the Champions League. Yeah, hi guys, big week. Now we're looking forward to Man City in the the semifinals of the uh, the FA Cup. So the Big game's coming thick and fast now. I'm looking forward to that one. It's like pressure time, Nick. Everything is coming thick and fast towards the tail end of the season. We're thinking about semifinals of Champions League and FA Cup semifinal. And, oh, by the way, we still have a race for top four. So not sure if there's going to be let up from here until the end of the season. Well, how you couldn't pass to Dan on every every match as a final now is essentially... that. That's where I would go. I mean, we're... Unfortunately, you lose to West Brom and you put pressure on the league uh, on every subsequent league finish. Um, and now you're in in the uh, in the showtime for both Champions League and FA Cup. So, I mean, every every match is the I final. Mean, definitely, match. it coincides well with the start of a Formula One season. That the race to the top of the table is uh, at the end of the season here for the Premier League. So it works out well. You know, it's uh, all all gas, no brakes at the moment. The top six race, I th- the top four race, should I say, I think is uh, really exciting now. I know you guys don't want it to be exciting. <laughs> but, we do but, not. Um, West, I thought West Ham would have just fallen away a little bit by now with Declan Rice being injured. And West Ham looked like they could stay the, stay the course and keep a challenge going. Liverpool, I'm sorry to say, beat Villa. So they look as though they could, they've got a good of all of them they've got the best fixture list as well i would say on paper yeah. although it's very hard to predict on paper at this time of the season and chelsea've got all the momentum i know that we had the the west brom aberration but i still think chelsea've got all the momentum i think it's going to be a really exciting top four race and there might be two places available now it might not just be one place everyone's fighting for because leicester could slip out I, a couple of weeks ago i was convinced leicester were, were going to be okay but they look vulnerable now, and I'd have thought everybody thinks there's two Champions League places to play for now. 
I mean, two seasons in a row for Leicester City and Brendan Rodgers potentially being firmly planted in the top four, then spiraling out right at the end. Absolute heartbreak for them. But hey, when you win the Premier League with 10,001 odds, you, you, you kind of used up all your credit, I, uh, maybe, on that yeah, one. Everyone but, from that is a bonus. Yeah, exactly. Um, but before we get into a lot of the uh, the meat and potatoes of a podcast like this, uh, Matt, you put out a tweet recently. One word. It said pubs. So Gabriel mm. says, <laughs> what are your plans now that the pubs are open? And this is more of like a personal and societal thing for London is you guys have been under very tight lockdowns. Your social watering holes are reopening. Correct. They've been shut for three months and now we can return to the pub, which is a glorious, glorious thing. Um, I'm going tonight, Wednesday, I'm going tonight for my first ever pub visit since the, uh, since the lockdown restrictions have been eased. We have to drink outside and it's pretty cold here at the moment. I imagine I'll have thermals on to drink outside tonight. <laughs> That's how much I want to go back to the pub. I'll sit there in my thermals and, and shiver. But yeah, it's, uh, it's happy days. Been sadly missing the pubs. I'm gonna, I might also actually even take my laptop and try and get a Wi-Fi feed to put on the Champions League so we can sit on an outdoor <laughs> table and watch, watch the football because that's difficult now because we can't drink inside. So you can't go and watch a football anywhere. So... Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Really good. Commitment. That's commitment. Oh, I love it. For sure. For sure. I'm very committed to the pub. So I'd be more committed if it were not for my wife and children. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the family, career, yeah, every, everything. Exactly, would be yeah. The, yeah. I'd uh, like to be more committed. The, the outdoor the outdoor settings here, we're, we're lucky that we have a lot of TVs and such. Are, are we... Are we are we leading the way there? Are you guys going to have to catch up on the outdoor TV setup? See, the only time we ever really do outdoor TVs is in the summer for major tournaments. So I'd imagine in the summer when it's the Euros, there'll be lots of outdoor TVs. But with our weather and stuff, you just don't you don't have outdoor TVs and screens. Mm, yeah, at pubs. good point. So yeah. uh, you've got to, I think a few, I, I've read that a few have tried to set things up and and get screens outside. But certainly my my locals haven't. So yeah, I might be taking my laptop to the pub. But not to work. Yeah. But not to work. <laughs> not not as many outdoor TVs here either, Matt. I think uh, up in the, the north, the upper Midwest here, uh, we have far less enjoyable weather to be outside. Um, but hey, listeners, what we're going to be talking about today is what Chelsea advancing the Champions League means for the club and, and more specifically Thomas Tuchel. We're going to be talking about Matt's piece detailing the striker conundrum facing Chelsea, which is is really interesting after these last couple weeks, even more so. And then the top four challenges, FA Cup feelings, and and you know whatever whatever else Matt wants to touch on. So, um, Dan, I'll let you kick it off. Uh, you have a nice little leading headline here: history in the making? Question mark. Uh, we're we're back on the Champions League uh, theme here to kick it off. Yeah, you know, I mean, Matt, you you watch it as a, a neutral and as the primary Chelsea correspondent, you know, and just it's eight years since we've uh, made it to the semifinals here. And, you know, what's your sense of what the mood is in the club? What what is this considered an achievement? You know, how are you reading the room regards to how Chelsea's viewing this accomplishment? Yeah, I mean, so this is where... Marina Granovskaya, Bruce Burke, Roman Abramovich expect Chelsea to be. They expect them to be in the, the top four clubs in, in Europe. That That's what they think Chelsea are. So they'll be pleased, but they won't be celebrating or 
or going over the top or or thinking this is the start of something amazing because this is this is just what they see Chelsea as. Um, so they'll be they'll be pleased, but pragmatic. I think is probably the best word. And I don't want people to think that they're they're not impressed by by what's going on. That that's not what I mean. They they're just they've been here before. This is what they expect. They celebrate wins at Chelsea. Chelsea only give out player bonuses for winning tournaments. You don't get a player bonus at Chelsea for qualifying for the Champions League. You get a player bonus at Chelsea for winning the Champions League. This is where Chelsea are very different to a lot of clubs. Um, but then on the players' side, it's a bit different. I was speaking to Rhys James last night after the game. I, I had a very quick phone call with him, thanks to the Chelsea press office. And, you know, this is new ground for a lot of the young lads. And you could tell the excitement in his voice. I mean, it was really nice. And he's clearly very excited about where Chelsea are. And he admitted if you'd have said to him four or five months ago, you'd be looking forward to a semi-final of a Champions League. He, he wouldn't have thought it was possible where the, the club were four or five months ago. Um, and it's a learning process for the young players. And it's just really, really exciting. So, And then you've got the Thiago Silvers of this world who've kind of done it all. So there's lots of different views. You can't say all of Chelsea feel this way or all of Chelsea feel that way. There's loads of different views. It's a really, really interesting time because of the mixture of experience and the mixture of belief and and youth and and everything it's it's really interesting i th- i think you know that that is really interesting about the club and like the bonus structure and things like that i mean those are nerdy little things i always find interesting on the business side of it as well um the that was something i talked about in our match review too matt was just the experience levels you have to learn to win at this stage this is a slight that Tottenham have been had against them, even Klopp's Liverpool until they literally won everything in in consecutive seasons is there is a mentality part and it's also an internal confidence. You have to believe that you can be there on that stage and not be rattled and go play your game. And so I think, you know, the way Tuchel set up the team is is provide he's taken away a lot of the scary parts of these matches and said, no, no, just focus on this little thing. As long as you do this, we'll be all right. And, And it panned out. So I think for Tuchel, obviously, to come in um, in January with a, a fresh squad and for him not to be to this point, like you said, he's probably got to be laughing himself uh, to the bank with everything. But he still had like top four is still the main priority for him. Right. I mean, the Champions League is just gravy in a season. But like at some point, like we said, the, the FA Cup semifinal, the Champions League semifinal in the top four, like. Something eventually might have to give in his his kind of priority list. It's interesting that I think the um, the potential fixture list. Actually, I'm going to be very rude and look at my phone while I speak to you because I have the potential <laughs> fixture list on my phone around the semi final dates. I don't know whether you guys have already looked at it or not. Oh yeah, it's, not great. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's quite it's stark, it's... isn't it? I mean, you, yeah. you you basically look at West Ham away on the, the 24th, which is, you know, a huge match now, absolutely massive match. Then you've got the first leg of the semi-final on the Tuesday. And, of course, we're not entirely, we, not entirely sure where that will be played yet. Um, then you've got the Fulham home game. Now, look, Fulham home on the Saturday. Fulham are trying to stay up. That won't be an easy game. You've already seen it with West Brom. Won't be an easy match at all because they've got everything to play for. What you really wanted in that game was a, an Aston Villa, a Crystal Palace, you know, someone where they're 
the season's bobbing along for them. Then you go Tuesday again, Champions League second leg. And then the Saturday, Man City away. I mean, that is just a massive... How many days is that? 10 days or something? And it's a really tough fixture list. So it's going to be difficult. Then you throw in, if they did get to an FA Cup final as well, around all these fixtures towards the end of the season when you'll be deciding the top four, you'll be then preparing for an FA Cup final as well if you got through. I don't think he'll give any up though at this stage. You don't get to a semi-final of a competition and give any competition up. No way. I do think it will be um, an FA Cup team, if you like. It won't be what we probably now call the first team. I think there'll be an FA Cup team on Saturday, but I don't think they're giving anything up now. And it's a toss-up now between what's easier, to finish in the top four or to win the Champions League to get in the Champions League. You can't choose between them. You have to go for both. Or you're right, Nick, you gamble. And you're like, all right, United, win the Europa League. Give us that fifth spot, (laughs) which is, again, putting far too much of our our own destiny in someone else's hands. So I guess we can just focus on us and, and just winning the Champions League. That'd be I'm, fun. I make yeah. it a principle in my life to not rely on Ole Gunnar Solskjaer for anything. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, yeah, look, uh, Matt, we, we were kind of talking about this last night, but I'm curious about your perspective here. Chelsea have, have done these big waves this year. You know, go go on 16 unbeaten, then, then yeah. fall off, and then go on... 14 unbeaten and then fall off, right? Who are the most important players uh, for you in this Champions League run so far and and why? Well, this is a weird thing as well. And it's probably not quite the answer you want because, as you said, everything keeps dipping and and troughing and, you know, roller coastering. And it's been like that with the players. You know, Olivier Giroud is the top scorer for Chelsea in the Champions League, six goals. And in the group stages, he was hugely important. Now, you'd never put him at the moment as one of the most important because he's he's not starting. Similarly, Hakim Ziyech earlier in the season in the group stage of the Champions League, really, really good performances. Um, and you wouldn't put him in the starters now either. It's flipped. Kante, look, I'm, I'm for the purposes of this show, I'm going to assume that Chelsea are going to play Real Madrid in the semi-final. I probably jinxed it now so that it's it's Liverpool. That might be a good thing for Chelsea fans. I don't know. But um, Kante, for me, is the most important player for the semi-final. If, there's, if they're playing Real Madrid, they, Kante, Kante's got to be fit for that game and, and fully fit. I I just think when you get to this stage and when when, when you'll be up against... I know that midfield of, of Real Madrid's not, not necessarily what it has always been, but even so, when you've got technicians like Modric and Casemiro and people, you'll need Kante in there. And I just think that he, like he did in Barcelona, like he did against Atletico Madrid, they didn't need him to so much against Porto. But I just think that's when the fact that he's that world-class player will will come through. Look, you're going to need, obviously the defence are going to have to carry on playing well, but you're going to need... To win trophies, not necessarily to get in the top four, but to win trophies, whether it be the FA Cup now or the Champions League, you're going to need the striker to play well. Whoever's that striker. Now, I know Havertz played extremely well against Crystal Palace, but it was Crystal Palace. And he was quiet again last night. Porter, a very difficult side for him to play against. I don't think it suits a false nine at all. 
But Haver, if Havertz is in that false nine against a Real Madrid, a Liverpool, or then even into a final and a Man City or a PSG, he's going to have to have a much, much more impactful game or whoever else plays striker. Because you've got to imagine that from now on in, you're going to have to be so ruthless in goal to uh, ruthless in front of goal to score a goal. You can't have a player who's kind of, you know, scoring one and missing four, or who's not not quite in the game one match, but might be in the game another match. So, I think that is going to be massive for for the next for those semi-finals and potentially finals to whether it be Havertz or or whether it end up being someone else. That person through the middle has got to be bang on it, I think. One of the things, Matt, that uh, I know you've uh, had a chance to file a story about as we head of this podcast was a little bit of the end-of-match mischief that transpired. And I uh, would love to get your take on a little bit of the tensions running afoul, potentially, uh, after the final whistle. So, look, we, we've seen, um, in the last 10 years, we've seen Chelsea involved in a few Champions League rows, haven't we? You know, on the pitch or off the pitch or, you know, tempers get heated and everything. But I, I'm told today by my my contacts that the, the wind-up tactics and the sort of dirty tricks of Porto were worse last night than Chelsea have ever encountered um, in the last 10 years. You know, they were getting it in the director's box. They were getting abused and goaded in the director's box. Staff were being confronted in the stands um players substitutes and staff on the bench were being sworn at and goaded um the team sheets were purposefully handed in late they they weren't greeted by the opposing team which is normal they weren't congratulated at the end of the game um and then it it just spilled over now chelsea vehemently deny uh, an accusation that uh, that thomas tuchel told sergio constachau to to f off at the end of the game um, Darn. They, they, they certainly clashed and from from all accounts he would have been with, within his rights to to say that because you know I'm told that in Portuguese that the Chelsea players and the Chelsea bench all through the game were getting called sons of bitches I was told that at the end of the game when um, Porto players asked some of the members of staff whether they could get some shirts when they were just asked to wait to get back to the tunnel area Players and staff were getting abused. They were saying to suck my dick and all this kind of business. And it just got very silly and very nasty. And it really, really spilled over. And the players got annoyed by it. Tuchel got annoyed by it. Um, Porto, I don't know whether you remember, but Porto were embroiled in something similar with Manchester City back in October in the group stages. There was a similar suggestion of, of very dirty tricks and, and nasty behaviour then. And I'm, I'm told it's the worst behaviour as a club that, that Chelsea have encountered in the last decade. Wow. You'd assume they've seen some things. Too. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, they're, they're not a club. Chelsea themselves are a club who are, you know, they can be quite sort of confrontational themselves. They've had confrontational players. They've had Costas. We've seen Drogba go mad at the end of Champions League games. They're used to temper spilling over. They're big guys about this they're not worried about temper spilling over but i'm told this was kind of really sort of nasty dirty horrible stuff that they really did not like and you felt like it was almost like a tactic from the club start to finish i mean like what in the director's box are you going to affect on the pitch I, I don't think we can think that the directors were doing it to try and affect anything on the pitch but the directors sure. obviously were, were just heads up and, and part of it but 
they were apparently crazy in the director's box, shouting at the opposing director's box, and Peter Chet was getting a load of it and and all sorts. So very odd behaviour. And it, they were obviously had just got themselves so wound up for this second leg, trying to use whatever they could to try and turn it around. And, you know, it, it actually makes Chelsea's performance all the more impressive because Chelsea, I tweeted this during the game and we spoke to it before we came on air, you know, it wasn't a great game to watch, particularly for me, who's not an actual Chelsea fan. Quite a boring game. But I respected Chelsea for that because that's what Chelsea needed to do. They needed to just shut the, the game down. And to actually shut the game down in an atmosphere where you're being goaded, where you're being abused, is more difficult. So I, I actually think it makes the performance and the result more impressive that they were able to do that under the circumstances I'm told they're playing under. All right. Well, look, even more credit due. I mean, you've got at least two Portuguese speaking players on the pitch in that match to very quickly understand what is going on and communicate to the the rest of the Chelsea boys um, what they're they're about. But um, man, dirty, dirty tricks from from Porto, which well, kind of takes kind of takes a shine off them a little bit Nick. they had a good run right you, you knock out Juventus Cristiano Ronaldo now all of a sudden like three shots in two matches and you go out this way like ugh, bad taste in the mouth yeah I wouldn't expect it like they're trying to win too um you know it's this isn't the way I would personally go about the the process but like I don't know that, that I just they Diego costed us a little bit that's it and mm. And what's what what's good about it though is we we kept our heads and that, and that's I think that's what matters. And and you know remember you, Jose Mourinho came from Porto. You know <laughs> that they, they, they do have Porto do Pepe plays for Porto. They have players in their history. They 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 I respect Porto a lot actually because they punched over the last couple of decades they punched above their weight as mm-hmm. it were. But they do have history for this kind of thing. It's not it's not so unexpected. But I am told the level. I'm told by people who worked at Chelsea for, for well over 10 years that the level of it was unlike anything they've ever seen. So I think it probably did spill over into the, the, the slightly too far, but, um, but well done. And I don't know whether you guys have seen the video clip. Have you seen the video clip of how quickly Edouard Mendy gets in front of Antonio Rudiger when they're on the pitch? Rudiger gets pushed, I think, by the Porto goalkeeper. And... Um, Mendy is about five yards away. Mendy's turn of pace when he sees Rudiger get pushed because he knows what could happen <laughs> at this point. His turn of pace to get himself in between Rudiger and the Porto goalkeeper is highly impressive. Look it up on Twitter. It's a good video. We always knew Mendy had quick reactions. Uh, good, good, good head to uh, <laughs> avoid any any potential problems. Uh, which, uh, great goalkeeping. It would have been so dumb to get a post-game red card. Exactly, exactly. Right, and, and that's probably what they were trying to instigate. Um, but yeah, exactly. Look, great on Mendy, I love it. All right, well, hey, let's go ahead and take our quick break. Thank you to the sponsors for for financially supporting the show. Um, we're going to get back. We're just going to get right into Matt's article about the uh, striker conundrum that Thomas Tuchel faced. So uh, we'll be right back. All right, uh, definitely going to pitch this one to Nick. I think we all saw this coming. Uh, in case you don't know, Matt, Nick has gone on a personal adventure this season, really <laughs> focusing about the strikers, uh, Timo, and and obviously lack of involvement from Tammy, albeit he's the leading goal scorer in all competitions at the club. So, Nick, 
Uh, I don't know if you know, our, our friend Matt here wrote an article about this, and I thought you two should talk. Quite, quite talented <laughs> guy, yeah. Um, look, I, this has been a, a personal bugaboo of mine all season. Just the, I think the, not the goal scoring record or or the, the chances in front of goal. I think it's just the opportunities to play has been my, my kind of personal uh, journey, as Brandon wanted to phrase it, that I've been on. How do you see the striker pool shaping up? I mean, it's it's clear right now that Tammy and Giroux are kind of on the uh, on the bench. You know, maybe Timo will get some minutes, but it, it really looks like Havertz is going to continue as a, a center forward, right? Yeah, look, I want to take some credit for this, guys, because I, I did an article last week <laughs> where I said that I thought Havertz should now be on the substitutes bench for a while. And I then followed that up with a wider piece about the strikers, again, pointing out the fact that none of the strikers were really scoring under Tuchel. Next game, Kai Havertz, first goal under Tuchel against Crystal Palace, probably his best performance, almost scores a Paul Gascoigne wonder goal. So I think I did the reverse jinx on Kai Havertz there and uh, commentators curse. Well, and social so I'm, media, I'm claiming- social media surely didn't let you... Uh, live oh no, down. they forgot about it. They for- so right they away. Forgot about it. Yeah. <laughs> but um, look, I mean, seriously, I still think it's a great debating point. And you know, I'm going to the pub tonight. I think there's at least one Chelsea fan in my party, and I'm sure we'll be having this debate even over a pint tonight because I don't think the debate's over. I was really impressed with Kai Havertz against Crystal Palace. Don't get me wrong. I'm still not convinced he's a false nine. He, he missed two very good chances in that game, played extremely well, took his chance, he scored very well and almost scored a wonder goal. But I'm still not convinced when you need a guy who's got to take one chance to score that, that necessarily Kai at false nine is the guy. And I still think that there's reason for Tammy to feel upset. I felt it was a little bit harsh on Tammy that he didn't get on in that Crystal Palace game when you were like, 3-0 or 4-1 up or whatever, just to get some minutes, just to give him some encouragement. He'd got onto the bench basically because of injuries. It was clear he wouldn't have been on the bench if there hadn't have been the Christensen injury. Just to give him a bit of light. Thomas Tickle talked about trying to give him some light at the end of the tunnel last week. So why not give him 15 minutes light at the end of the tunnel in that game where he would fancy getting a goal? And then he didn't get on last night. Giroud got on last night. Fine. He's the leading scorer in the Champions League. He deserves it. Timo's now dropped down. And look, I think it's fairly clear now that Tuchel, certainly for the short term, his his favoured front three are now going to be Havertz, false nine, and Mountain Pulisic either side, kind of swapping round right and left. And, and you know, against Crystal Palace, it looked great. At time, Pulisic was excellent last night. But I thought Havertz, again, I don't think that Porto... The, the challenge of Porto particularly suits Havertz by the looks of things. But FA Cup selection is going to be so interesting with the, the strikers. If Tammy Abraham doesn't start the FA Cup game, he may as well leave, is my opinion. Because if, if you can't start that FA Cup game, when Tammy, when he's been fit, has started all the other FA Cup games when he's been fit, if he doesn't start that game now on Saturday, he may as well leave because that would be the biggest message to me, that there's no realistic way back for him under Tuchel. Tuchel can say, you know, oh, it's not his fault and this is a selection thing and blah, 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 blah. 
But at the end of the day, if that, that FA Cup team comes through and, and, and Abraham's not in it, I think Abraham will get the message, is my, my personal view. And I think that'd be very sad. The one stat that I included in my latest striker piece, which I could not believe when I, when I found it, was so in the time that Tuchel has been at Chelsea, Tammy Abraham has played 123 minutes of football. Now, that has been impacted by injuries. So I'm not just sort of blaming Tuchel, as it were, for that. There are only two strikers at the at Premier League clubs in the top half of the table who have been given less time than Tammy Abraham by their managers over the same period of time. Does that, this all make sense? Mm-hmm. That is Keenan Davis at Aston Villa, who some people might not have even heard of. He's, he's Villa's backup striker because basically our other backup striker, Wesley, has been injured for over a year. And Eddie Nikisha at Arsenal, who is dropped down to about being their fourth or fifth choice. They're only those two players in the top half of the Premier League of strikers have been given less minutes than Tammy Abraham in the time that Tuchel has been at Chelsea. And yet Tammy Abraham is top scorer. And it did not bode well for Tammy Abraham that when I put it to Thomas Tuchel last week, that it was highly unusual for a top scorer of a football club not to be able to get into squads. Thomas Tuchel's reply was, he's not top scorer while I'm at the club and I have to judge it on the time that I'm at the club. So basically, Tammy Abraham's goal-scoring record at Chelsea this season has been wiped clean because Thomas Tuchel, and that's fine, that's his decision and that's perfectly fine, but Thomas Tuchel judges it on what happens under him. So the goals scored before him really do not count for anything. So so here are a couple of issues then, right? The first is it feels personal because – Tuchel's rotated every other position effectively and mostly fairly. I mean, he gave Marcus Alonso a decent run in the team after being exiled uh, under Frank, uh, and there are plenty of other opportunities there. The second is that Timo Werner also hasn't scored during this time period. <laughs> so, like, if you're if you're just judging it on its merits, like, none of them have performed, really. I mean, none of that crew of four, now if you want to throw Havertz in there, performed. So... Does it feel more personal, this one, or is it just business? Look, what what I've got to say is Thomas Tuchel insists it's not personal. I've got to say that because I've got to put his point of view across. My belief and my feeling is that it is, that it has to be. And that doesn't mean personal in terms of personalities. Tammy Abraham is not a confrontational kind of guy. So I I, I would struggle to believe that there's a big clash of personalities between Tammy and 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 Thomas Tuchel. I've heard nothing of that, and I, I don't think that's the case. I think in terms of it being personal, what I what I personally believe to mean personal is that Thomas Tuchel probably sees a talented striker, but not a striker who fits into the way he feels he wants to go, and that he doesn't think that Tammy has the skill set to to play in a Thomas Tuchel team. You know, I disagree, but you know, who am I? Um, but it, it definitely feels that way. It, it just feels like there's there's no real role for Tammy. Um, I desperately hope he starts against Man City because he deserves to. He's he's done enough in the Cups to deserve that start. He's been patient enough. He's acted very well behind the scenes from what I'm told. There's not been any silly business, which, you know, you could have forgiven him for a bit of a sulk. But you saw him on the pitch last night. He was on the pitch congratulating the guys at the end. He's, he was after the... Um, after the game in which Mason Mount and Pulisic uh, and Ben Chilwell scored in the first leg, 
Tammy was doing nice little videos and, and pictures of those two taking pictures and things. He's remained a team guy. He's very popular in the dressing room, particularly with that, that group of lads who are close. So my view is he deserves to start against Man City. And I, I think it will be extremely harsh if he doesn't. From from my perspective with the, the circuit conundrum, unfortunately, Nick, you could also add Kai Havertz and... Um, the lot. I mean, everybody. So the, the attack has been the place we've had the most issues. Um it, it has been in weird, and I think he's definitely trying to figure it out a little bit more. It almost seems like now Timo Werner is no longer really a, a number nine for Chelsea, Matt. It kind of seems like he's going to play one of those wide areas, and it sounds like he's now more head-to-head with Christian Pulisic playing probably on the left, at least starting from that center, that, that standpoint. So from from the structural part of of this team Mason's locked in you're still kind of waiting for a talisman not named Tammy Abraham to take the number 9 and now Timo is pretty much secured on that left inside forward number 10 role two tens yeah i i do there's an imbalance to the squad isn't there i mean that you can't get around the fact that there is an imbalance to the squad and it's only because there's a lot of very talented players so you know, it's a headache a lot of managers would absolutely kill for, and I'd kill for it at my club villa. But there's there's an imbalance there because, you know, Kai's playing false nine, but he's not a striker. And then you've got Timo, who we thought was a striker, and then he's arrived and it feels like he doesn't want to be a striker anymore and that he's best suited to, to the sort of Pulisic role. Then you've got Ziyech and you've got Mount and you've got all these kind of number 10-y type inverted wingers and then the only two out-and-out strikers you've got are the two that Thomas Tuchel doesn't really want to play. So it's created this weird imbalance where there's too many players competing for too few places either side of the main striker. And, and Tuchel doesn't really seem to fancy any of them, particularly as the main striker. It still feels to me that the false nine thing has been used as a way to accommodate Kai Havertz in because he is so super talented. Um and because I think they they know the need to get him used to this league to hopefully, therefore, next season have him in the best possible condition and headspace for next season. And it feels like it's slightly being created for him for that. I mean, he's still only scored two Premier League goals. Um, it's a, I find, I find it a, a extremely interesting and baffling and difficult sort of problem stroke subject by far my favorite subject of, of the Chelsea team at the moment as as people on Twitter remind me of when I, I keep writing about it but completely <laughs> rational they're just giving you really straightforward feedback <laughs> <laughs> but I just don't think you can get away from it I mean even last night I mean I I left Kai alone last night I thought fair play had a great game against Palace I'm I'm gonna give him this this sort of Porto performance but I saw stuff around last night about you know moaning about Kai as, as, as the false nine last night. And it's good until one player consistently scores and grabs it by the throat for a few games and not just one game, then it's, it's not going to go away, this debate. And it, ahead of this game, I keep saying it, but ahead of this FA Cup game against Man City, the two biggest issues for me are who plays number nine and who plays in goal. So and I, I think that's where, and then in this article, Matt, too, you talked about, you know, Holland, Lukaku, you talk about the types of profile of player who could be that talisman, who could be the solution, the plug and play for Chelsea. 
Um, any updates from your perspective about where you feel like those conversations are heading? Because, you know, uh, I just contractually with the audience, we have to ask. <laughs> um, look, it's becoming clearer and clearer and clearer that if they can't get Haaland, that Lukaku is in their thoughts. And that's quite amusing because of the show I did where I made it up. And then <laughs> it, it, it's sort of becoming true. And I'll, I'll, I'll be, you know, we, we were all honest at the time. I completely made it up on the show. I didn't really have any intel that it might become true at that point. I guess fair play. Yeah. It fit. It, it made sense uh, to some people. But even that that deal, that deal is very difficult as well. I mean, Inter Milan do have many problems. But if Inter Milan get a takeover, which they're trying to do, then it could well fall off the table. Lukaku's net, because of the net wage situation in Italy, Lukaku's wages are insanely high because they can they can earn a net wage in Italy because of various tax loopholes for footballers over there. Um, and he absolutely adores Antonio Conte. So if Conte again stays at Inter Milan, it's not it's not as simple as simple as picking up the phone to Lukaku and saying come home. That's for sure. There's not as much competition for him as there is for Haaland, but neither of those deals are easy. And part of me would, you know, I don't. A lot of Chelsea fans will not agree with me on this, but part of me thinks why why not try Tammy there properly? Why? I made this argument on Twitter the other day that the, the, the arguments people use against Tammy at the moment are very similar to the arguments I used to hear against Lukaku when he was at Chelsea about, oh, he's, he's a good striker, but he's not top class. He's not Chelsea class. He missed too many chances. He's good against the bad teams, but not against the good teams. All of this was said about Lukaku for ages. And now lots of Chelsea fans and fair play would, would love to have him back for 80 million. So would you do you do risk doing that with Abraham? But look, they they will go for striker, they will go for Haaland. If they can't get Haaland, I think they'll definitely have a go at Lukaku, and then you start to work down a slightly more random list from there. Here's my next made-up rumor. All right. Which, again, this is completely off the top of the head stuff, and I'm going to ask it as a question to you guys rather than just saying it out. So, scenario: Chelsea miss out on Haaland. They can't get Lukaku. Would you take Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, whose goal-scoring record under Thomas Tuchel was absolutely insane at Borussia Dortmund and they loved each other, would you take him as a sort of stopgap signing? Because he can't get in the Arsenal team at the moment. I'd love to stoke this fire real quick. Is this a Gonzalo Higuain, Rizzo Sarri type of situation? It would be. And look, I don't see it happening because I'll tell you, I'll tell you why I definitely don't see this one happening is Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang is on £350,000 a week at Arsenal and I think still has four years left on that contract. Yeah, the financials are always going to be the huge block, but I think you have the legitimate concerns with like him not starting against Manchester City a few weeks ago because he's like frequently late, it seems. And look, maybe he's just not bought into the Arsenal play. And if he were to come to Chelsea, he'd be reinvigorated and look fresh. But man, he would break every rule Marina Granovsky has built at Chelsea <laughs> since she got yeah. there. But, but I mean, as would, as would Aguero. I mean, more seriously, Aguero's getting linked a lot. And um, a lot of rules would have to be broken for Aguero to join Chelsea because... He's 33, I think. Is he 32, 33? Um, 
I'm assuming he'd want one more than a one-year contract, so that's a rule already. His wages for one year, I'm assuming, would would very likely break um, Chelsea's current sort of record on, on wages because he's a free transfer. So again, Aguero, there's a lot of um, a lot of rules and things that would have to be broken for Aguero, which is why I'm very very sort of wary of of that rumor. That that to me would end up feeling like a very big panic and a very un Chelsea un Marina Granovskaya thing to do, to be quite honest with you. Not to say it can't happen. We, we don't know where the market will go at this stage. I, I'd definitely take Aubameyang over Aguero, <laughs> if that's if that's the option. I, like, Aubameyang, yes, for sure. Like the, for me, Aubameyang still has a lot of juice in the legs. Like he's, he's not running into a bunch of injury problems, you know, at this point in his career. He is a prolific goal scorer. Uh, in his own right, obviously had a bad year this year, but you know, so has I, I, Arsenal. Yeah, I mean they they've had a bad year every year for the past ten years. It's it's this this is a this is a tough one, but I I think Aubameyang's the right call, especially if you can put him in a structured environment where he can. Drive. I would imagine though as well. Again, I'd imagine given that the Higuain Sari thing didn't work, would massively put Chelsea off the two call. Uh, Obama Young sort of link mm. up because they, they've been down that route before and even though it was a loan it was a very expensive loan it cost them a lot of money and they didn't want to do it and it and it, it didn't work so but you know after after Haaland and Lukaku it's quite tricky it's quite tricky to to even guess I mean you can guess at a few who you're kind of taking a bit of a, a gamble on but centre forward look centre forward is always difficult I can't believe that Chelsea can get involved in Mbappe it's, it feels like if Mbappe leaves PSG he definitely goes to Real Madrid Kane absolutely no chance to Chelsea and if, if Mbappe goes to Real Madrid I would expect Kane to possibly go to PSG with Poch so Chelsea's options aren't that big which is why they've got to go really hard for a Haaland and then potentially a Lukaku. And then my approach would be to look at other places on the pitch to fill in the goals, right? And not having it. Be, because to your point, it's like we're we're getting some from Christian right now. We're, we're hoping that Timo was going to plug in. We're hoping that we, we just don't want it to be all down to a number nine. We want, whether it's goals from midfield or the two number tens behind, you know, we need multiple threats on the pitch. This, this is a great point. I, I wrote a piece about this a little while ago. Chelsea at the moment don't have a Cesc Fabregas, an Oscar. Um, I'm trying to think of, of others. Juan Mata. That. Juan Mata. They don't have that that creative. They have sort of winger midfielders and fast midfielders. And they have sort of energetic box-to-box and defensive midfielders. But they don't have that craft, do they? They don't have that midfield craft. Um, and it would be really interesting. I know I know some people around Chelsea have spoken to me about this, which is partly why I wrote a piece a while ago, who say, Chelsea, actually, they don't feel need a striker. What they need is a is a Cesc Fabregas. They need to find a Cesc Fabregas. And, and that's how the goals will be unlocked. And th- there's definitely an argument for that. And, and really interesting, Brandon, what you say is that Thomas Tuchel last week, for the first time gave a real hint that he might want to play a different system next season. Because when we talked about, will you go into the market in the summer and who will you be looking at? Within that, he talked about there's a decision to be made, whether we just go in the market or whether we try 
to set up and play a different way to unlock the goals. So that that might be something they think they have to do if they can't get that number one striker. Maybe they try and find the craft in midfield and try and go to a, a four-man defence and and change the midfield up away from two sixes because you you lose that craft with the two. What you, what you gain is clear, you know, the clean sheet record, but what you lose in the craft um, is clearly an issue. And, and Conte found this, didn't he? You know, Conte, if you remember, came in and dropped Cesc Fabregas when when he first came. He, Conte had Kante and Matic in the middle. And it didn't work. It 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 didn't work for him. And eventually he brought back Sesk. And and Sesk was providing all those assists for Diego Costa. And it might be that, that Thomas Tuchel has has to end up going down that route. I think that's a really fascinating point. All right. We we got we gotta move it on to the weekend really quick, Matt, because this is the now kind of Chelsea's next final is the semifinal against City. Uh, obviously going to be a tough match. City are, are clear in the league and are probably the favorites to win the Champions League. What are your thoughts on this match? And if there's one thing Chelsea can do to advance, it will be blank. Well, keep a clean sheet. <laughs> <laughs> Much easier said I'm, than I'm, done I'm, against I'm, Manchester City. Yeah, and, and and I'm not trying to be silly or or, or 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 kind of take the piss or whatever by saying that. But, you know, keep a clean sheet. And you know that they'll they'll have obviously a wonderful chance, but that's there where their strength lies as well. You know that's where Chelsea's strength lies. Um, there's no point opening up against City because they'll get done over anyway. And secondly, as we've just been spent a lot of time talking about, they don't have that one striker where you think, well, if they open up, they could really fire City down. I I, I would expect. Thomas Tuchel to have a very pragmatic approach to this game, and I wouldn't blame him if he if he almost grinds, shuts the game down again a little bit. You want to stay in the game, you want to keep a clean sheet because you also know against City you will probably get a chance. You know, then they're a lot better at the back than they were, but you still probably get a chance. I mean, we saw that with Leeds. Leeds had two attempts on target and were down to ten men and won the game by taking their two attempts and actually very unleads like were were pretty good in defense and and city had a bad day in front of goal i do sense as well with city you know we we're coming to that point where we've had this before with city are they going to win everything are they going to win a treble are they going to win a quadruple are they going to never lose a game and it's never been done because it's so difficult to stay on your A game all the time. And they've got a massive game tonight that, that is still in the balance. Everyone expects them to go through against Dortmund tonight, but it's not a game they can coast in. They're only one goal, two, one up, so one goal up. So tonight is going to take an awful lot out of them. I, I can see Chelsea doing it on Saturday. I can see Chelsea being really quite dull <laughs> and and nicking a win. I, I can. Um but everything will have to be bang on right. And the, the team selection will be very interesting from both managers because so often you get clubs who have got these FA Cup lineups and then the minute they get to the semi-finals, one of them will change and the other one might not change and it completely impacts the, the game. So, you know, if Thomas Tuchel suddenly goes to his what he considers his A team and Guardiola decides to rest a couple, you'd say advantage Chelsea. If Guardiola is going for the quadruple, plays his strongest ever team, strongest possible team, and you know Chelsea have a probably 
they've got uh, Kovacic out. They might have a little fitness doubt on Kante, given he was gambled a little bit last night. Can they afford to gamble again, or do they have to put a Gilmore in and, and play a bit more of a cup team? So the team selection is going to be, be massive. But yeah, I uh, I can really see Chelsea nicking it. If they if Chelsea did not let Kevin De Bruyne into the stadium whatsoever, <laughs> really good chance to to advance. So that's mine. Oh, uh, thank you so much, Matt, for jumping on. Uh, obviously, we'll be excited to get this posted out later in the week, uh, pre FA Cup. So uh, it'll be good timing as we head into that. It's a big week. Chelsea fans continue to enjoy it. Um, like I said, hopefully we can get through the next challenge and then. Um, <laughs> Brighton right away, right after that that semifinal match. So uh, no rest for the wicker. We're going to keep going again. Go ahead, sign up for Matt's newsletter. Uh, check out his work. Uh, tweet at him. Just say thanks for coming on the podcast. We appreciate him spending his time. And Matt, have a great night tonight. Enjoy yourself an outdoors. Yeah, pub. enjoy the pod. <laughs> I'm gonna. You may never see me again. <laughs> if I enjoy myself too much, this might be it. Oh, well, definitely enjoy yourself enough. But uh, anyways, that's going to wrap us up, Chelsea fans. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.